So the NHL is in discussion of going from 82 games to 84 games. Does that mean that the average player will get a pay raise? Like, I guess it, like the salary cap will go up, right? Because the split money will go up because the total money will go up. But they're, they're technically playing 2.4% more games. Does that mean their contracts will get prorated an extra 2.4%? Well, is this see like is the season going to be longer or shorter though right like well the amount of that... games you play is the one that matters right but they don't get paid per game right they get paid like weekly or bi-weekly right kind of like the rest of us i don't feel like they get paid per game so i, I don't necessarily think that they would you know get like a prorated bump in their wages i would think so so because then if, if the hockey related revenue amount goes up then the cap goes up right that's how the cap is determined so does it mean like maybe they get i don't know you shafted but they get shafted for a year and then when the hockey related revenue goes up then the net and they send their next contract it'll go up like it feels like it really benefits players for the future instead of now which is not a bad thing you know i mean in a day it's not you know who cares but i'm just curious to, in that one year do they get shafted because it starts to sound like they will well i feel like well let's go back to like the original reason why they might go up to 84 games is this because like they want more rivalry games or something or is it like now that it's just 32 teams they want like i feel like they want everyone to face everyone which you know i think that's what their owner's choice but that's what's causing them to potentially think about an 84 game season but like back to your question i think like maybe it involves something like along the lines of like escrow maybe like maybe the players aren't going to be paying as much into escrow per se for those you know when they're getting the 84 game seasons and then once all those contracts have kind of you know been grandfathered back in then then they'll change the escrow back to wherever. I don't know. I feel like it's some like financial thing that I think might. Be, it, it's a talking point, but I don't think it's a sticking point that like there. It's prevent the NHL CBA being like, or the players' union. I mean, being like, oh, we're not going to play because you're making us play two extra games and you're not paying us X amount more. Like I feel like they'll figure out some way between escrow and something else, and who knows? Maybe they'll get. I don't know. Maybe they'll get it. Big fat Christmas bonus or something from the NHL. I don't know. So the math that goes behind it is that twenty-eight games against division opponents because uh, seven other teams, right? Four games each, and then eight uh, twenty-four games against conference opponents, and then thirty-two games against the rest of the league. Sh- uh, stick tap to uh, find folks at Reddit for this one, and that ends up eighty-four games. Can you say how many interconference games again? Uh, twenty-four games against conference opponents. So it'd be 32 games against the rest of the league. See, my philosophy was always going to be, why don't you do... Like, I get that you need to play more games against within your conference. But, I don't know. I feel like these, like, inside your conference games, there's going to be some, technically, like, there's going to be some unevenness because, you know, some of those intercom like within your conference games, you're gonna play two games at home against maybe a stronger opponent, while another team might have two games at home against a weaker opponent. Right, like there's gonna be a little bit of difference when you're 
having those like three games against um, inter intra conference opponent. So I I don't know. I feel like well, the argument to be made there is that this year you have three games at home. Let's say you have two games at home, one game away, right? Next year you can just have two games away, one game at home. Obviously, yeah. depending on like scheduling, on arena availability and stuff like that. But I mean, it's not that big of a deal in my mind, at least. Yeah, I know. I guess it, it's just like, how do you choose? Like, when do you? Which teams that you get to do two games at home first versus the other? I guess I guess it's not that big of a sticking point. But I think if you're looking for like a complete, like I honestly these like conference games they're for like the wild card i guess but realistically i look at it and think can we not just do you know you're going to play your you know whatever your four games within your division and then just everyone else you just play one a home and away against and then just cut down the nhl season a little bit i don't know like i i I feel like the nhl should be moving towards maybe more games because they've now got more teams but i feel like they, they they were initially trending towards less NHL games, and like maybe more like, not like, like not um like more specialty games. I thought they were like looking in, into more, not like creating more regular season boring games. Sorry, can you explain to me what a specialty game is? is that like, besides the rivalries, what else would that be? I I felt like they were going to put more emphasis on like the uh, Heritage Classics, you know, the All Star Games. The centennial, sorry, not centennial, centennial games, but like I feel like they were gonna put more emphasis on making these special games, right? Like, and like there's always the you know New Year's Day outdoor game, right? The Heritage Classics. I feel like they were gonna maybe implement maybe two or three more. There's always the Hockey Day in Canada. Like, I wonder if they're gonna do one for like America soon. Like, I felt like they were gonna put more emphasis on making the regular season more enjoyable than just adding two more games for every single team. So I think you already know how I feel about about this, right? Yeah, like you feel like the those special games are more for the fans of that city and it's not really to it's not really growing the game for the entire NHL. It's more just, you know, for the team itself that's hosting. Like I think we already have way too many where it just kinda like loses value. Yeah, no, I know. I, I kind of agree with that, but I felt like the appeal would have been like more. Well, I, I don't know. I feel like the rivalry rivalry games were like a big topic when you know every team when we had that pandemic shortened uh, season where you were playing only within your division. Like I thought the rumors were going to be like instead of playing four games within your division, you play like six or even eight games within your division. Like I I don't know. I feel like it's tough to figure out how to change the regular season now that there's 32 teams. And, like, unless you want to be, like, the NFL where you don't play every single team every year, like, I feel like the math is... I, I feel like you don't want to go over 82 games. I feel like it's already too much. Well, I think at the end of the day, part of the reason that why they want to go to every team is that money. <laughs> you know what I mean? For example, you know me, right? As a Kings fan who doesn't live in the Los Angeles area... This allows me to see them play in person if I if I chose to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. I, I agree with what you're saying. Like I, I think that every team should play home and away with every other team, but I, I just worry, right? Like once you go over 
I feel like I did the math on this, or we talked about this at one point, right? When we talked about like the restructuring of the divisions when Seattle was coming in, it was like, do you like because the the year only has three hundred sixty five days, you know, three sixty six on the leap year, but it means you might have to cut enough your short your you might need to shorten your off season a little bit. Maybe like you, you've got planned days off, right? Like the Thursday before American Thanksgiving is always, you know, no one plays. Um, I want to say like the Christmas break that we're coming up to, that's like three days off that no one plays. Um, I think what else? Like the day before or the day after the All-Star game, I think is also where no one plays. Like there's days where just no one plays. And I feel like, if you add in two extra game days, that's going to increase the number of back-to-backs. That's going to increase the risk for injuries. And really, that's not going to put in as many off days as I think, or practice days even, that I think teams would covet over playing two extra games. Like, maybe the owners want it, but I think from the player and like from a, like a competition point of view, I feel like cutting short those extra off days and practice days is going to make you know you're going to have more tired skater games you're going to have more backup goalie games where um, maybe it's not going to be as appealing to watch as you know when teams are well rested and not everyone's on the IR no I think you're right and I'm curious how this affects salaries and you bring up a really good point right you have more backup goalie games you're going to end up having backup goalies ask for more so I'm curious how this all ends up, and I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. And uh, with that, let's start the show proper, shall we? You're listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. And we are back. So Jeffrey. What would you like to talk about today? I think we've got three topics today that we were looking to talk about. Um, why don't we go by order of significance? And um, I say this because I know you're going to want to talk about the Kings first. So every time we have a Kings topic on the board, uh, I feel like we have to talk about it first because it's always going to lead there eventually. So Trevor Moore signs in a nice extension. Uh, five years, 4.2 million AAV. Uh, Austin, what are your initial thoughts on this Uh deal or this extension for Trevor Moore with the LA Kings. I like it. Um, I think as a Kings fan, you get to really watch Trevor Moore develop into being better and better and better every season. And coming in, you know, when he was traded to the LA Kings, I'll be honest with you, didn't have that much expectation. And for our listeners who may not remember, um, it was Jack Campbell and Kyle Clifford for Trevor Moore and two third round picks. Uh, And at the end of the day, I think Trevor Moore has a chance to be just as important to the Kings as Jack Hamill was to the Leafs. And that is a spicy take. I'm fully aware of it. But this is a guy where I think at 27, he's getting into his prime right now. I think he's good for, if he plays all 82 games, of course, 55, 60 points. And 55 points at $4 million is a... And the current NHL is a pretty good deal. Yeah, like I feel like this Trevor Moore deal, it, it, it's not a bad deal per se. I, I would, 
I would harp a little bit and say maybe it's a year too long for an extension. I think if you're looking at guys who are going to be, you know, dependable middle six guys who, you know, can play a little bit of power play, a little bit of uh, penalty kill. I mean, those guys aren't necessarily dime a dozen, but also not guys you want to always invest super long term in. So I was going to say maybe I would have liked it. It was like a four year deal, but even if it was a five-year deal, like I, I don't hate it per se. I know there's some people that say like, "Oh, why are you giving Trevor more like four point two million? But like you're right, like at, in this current NHL landscape, like four point two million is kind of about going rate for a guy who's going to put in about forty odd points a season and can you know play all situations. So it, I, I wouldn't say it's the worst deal. Um, it, it kind of is funny when I went on. Um, I was going on cap friendly and I was trying to like look at contracts that are compared to Trevor Moore. There were three, um, three contracts that came up that were kind of very, very interesting. It all kind of tied back to uh, kind of Trevor Moore in his situation. Do you want to hear what the three uh, contracts uh, were? Yeah. So the one that uh, cap friendly didn't change the settings. So the most comparable contract was actually uh, Alex Ayafalo's extension, which was four years at four mil. Um, which I, I mean, like, I feel like honestly, I have follow and Trevor Moore kind of similar guys, you know, yeah, maybe faster players, you know, not as physical, but guys who can play all situations, guys who, um, you know, are, are like, you know, they're solid middle six players on any NHL team, right? Like they're not going to be your top line guys, but they're also not going to go. They're also not going to be plebs who are going to be healthy scratch ever, like, off and on right so i always i found that interesting i wonder if they kind of use that as a baseline for their deal and then the next two uh most common um contracts were Ilya mikhaev and uh, mason marchman who were also two former maple leafs that were kind of you know yeah you're four flying guys but you know well ah! not, not mikhaev but like they're they were wool guys and then they've blossomed into you know well, they were role guys with the Leafs. Maybe not Mikheyev, but they've signed, you know, their middle six contracts now, and they're kind of blossoming in their middle six roles. So I felt like all three contracts were kind of like very, kind of were great, you know, bases for how, you know, Trevor Moore's contract came to be. You know what? I will, I, I doubted the Mason Marshman conversation, I'll be honest with you, but I see it. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, the production is very similar. Um, at four and a half, though, I think it's probably what you expect. I'm personally okay with it, the term. I know you mentioned the term was a little iffy to some people. I'm okay with the term. Um, at the end of the day, it's five years starting at 28. That comes up to, what, 33? And I feel like for most players, 32, 33 is probably where you start to fall off. And he's until 33, right? So I think at the end of the day, if you wanted to do 31, you probably could have done it. But it'd be at a term where you'd probably be looking at, what, 5? 4.755? Maybe 4.5? But if you look at Mason Marshman as a good example, he's 27, signed a uh, four-year deal. Sorry. So at 4.5, it's similar. But I would say he didn't sign it right after his breakout season. Like he did, uh, like Mason Marchman did. Sorry, Mason Marchman had one good season, 
at 47 points in 54 games, and then signed the Flurry deal, right? Like at the end of the day, Trevor Moore signed it after I'd say two good seasons. I would say this uh, last season, 48 points, 81 games, pretty good, and also 23 points in 56 games is pretty good, and he's also replicating as well, which I think is very important this year, 18 points in 33 games. I'd say he's on pace for a third good season. And that shows longevity. And I think that's important. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And I was just saying four years probably were, was maybe better because like you look at the King's cap structure, you know, Dowdy's contract ends in four years. The nose contract ends in four years. It kind of would have made sense if Trevor Moore also signed like a four-year extension. So they all kind of, you know, ended off at the same time because I feel like that 2027-2028 mark would kind of be, you know, that team's next, you know, reset where they kind of like re, 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 rejig their team and see, you know, are they continuing on, you know, a trend of contending and, you know, just resetting their depth guys or are they going to be, you know, having to, you know, maybe have to retool or maybe even rebuild. So I felt like that was kind of, know the potential point but you know good on trevor moore you know for a guy who went undrafted who you know i I thought put up pretty solid numbers as a junior like as a junior and even in the ncaa like he put in good numbers but i think just given his size i think people were curious how it translates at the nhl level but seems to have done well and you know he looks like he's gonna be a mainstay in that middle six for um daily kings so now that we've got the most important thing out of the way is Alex Ovechkin going to catch the goal record. He hit 800 this week. And super ball and move when you just hand the stick off to some kid because it's like, it's no big deal. That is a baller move. I got to give that to credit for him first. Well, I mean, like, if it was the 897th goal, that stick, then maybe he wouldn't hand it off as easily. But, like, I think Ovechkin's a guy where he's at the st- He's at the stage in his career where none of the goals matter until it's number 897, right? All the goals in between aren't going to matter to him as much. It's once he gets, once he gets, you know, 897, that puck's going in his, you know, trophy case. But, you know, even 896 is not going to even be big, big for him. It's 897. And I I mean, you got to feel shitty for Ovechkin, right? Like longevity wise, you know, he's played what, 18 seasons already. And, you know, he's had to go through two, you know, lockout shortened season. Well, he missed one season completely because of a lockout. He's had a lockout shortened season. He has had two pandemic shortened seasons. Like, my question would be, like, would he have reached 890? Would he have beaten Gretzky's goal record if he got to play, you know, regular seasons for those four aforementioned shortened seasons? I think at the end of the day, it would be closer, but not passing him. I think... Mean, there has to be some sort of recognition that, yeah, it was unfortunate circumstances, but then there were also other circumstances that prevented him from doing from being further ahead. And what I mean by that is, look, he's been injured, right? There, like he's been relatively healthy, but he's played seasons where he hasn't played all eighty two games, and then you kind of get into a situation of what if, right? Like, what if he played every season, every game, right? Like. I got to say, he's been very healthy, but he hasn't played every single game. So I think unfortunate circumstances just make it too hard to figure out where he would be if, you know, COVID didn't happen, for example. Well, 
I, I'm gonna ask you a question then. How many games, how many playable games has Ovechkin missed in his career? So I'm not saying like, you know, the Ben Tenmec, the lockout shortened season. Like if there was 82 games that season, he played all 82 games. Like he would, he would like, how do I word it? So I'll, I'll, I'll be fair. And I'm actually looking at his hockey TV page right now, right? Like most seasons he plays, you know, 79 to 81 type of games, right? So it's a very small amount, but it's a very... It still brings you into the what if situation. Yeah, I, I know, but the the point of my the reason why I'm bringing this up is that he's shown longevity. He's shown good health. Like, I think that you know he's got what three more seasons left in his contract. I think he he beats it. Like, I think he will pass Gretzky by the end of you know, by the end of his career. Like, I don't like. Yes, I agree with the whole what if scenario. Is like you know. Would he have beaten like if if Ovechkin falls short? I think that what if scenario is going to be the biggest talk in the NHL world. But I think he he does beat it. Like he's been relatively healthy throughout his entire career. He's only missed forty one games total in his entire NHL career, which is astounding for a guy who's played what like eighteen seasons almost, like or seventeen seasons. I can't really remember, but like the reason why I think he's signed this extension was that he's hoping he's thinking he's going to be playing for all those seasons and i wouldn't argue with you that he's not gonna you know be a 30 goal scorer in all those seasons or maybe maybe at least a 20 goal season maybe in his last season but i think he's going to put up enough goals within like this season and even next season that he's going to be super close um by the end of his career sorry so you mentioned how many games has he been injured He's missed 41 games. I, I would say injured because I know at least one of those games was because he skipped the All-Star game, at least. Okay, so just taking some quick math, you know, putting it all together. By extrapolating it, if he played those 41 games, he would be at 825. Does Are you much more confident he breaks the record if he was at 825 right now? Obviously, yeah. Like, Well, like, I, I'm not... Saying that, like, you know, if he played every single game every NHL season, I'm saying, like, you know, what if he played, you know, what if he got played, you know, that entire first year that he didn't get to play because of the lockout? Like, that's 82 games that he technically missed. But we're not counting those because that's, you know, that that's just life, you know. The lockout shortened season where he only played like 48 games, right? Like, that's missing, you know, 30-something games mm-hmm. right there. The lockout shortened seasons, you know, instead of playing, you know, 82 games. They played, you know, shortened seasons. Like, yep. I feel like if you add all those up, I don't know what the number would be. Like, he would definitely be a lot closer. And obviously, you know, the closer he is to 896, you know, the higher probability and the more like I would like the fact that he would, you know, hit, beat Gretzky's record. So, yeah, like, I, I think it's going to happen. Hopefully, like, I, unless something major happens, like a major injury or a reason for why he can't play, I don't see him not beating Gretzky's record. Yeah. Um, I think earlier on, I was... I think we had this conversation early in the year, and I said, eh, it'll, be, it'll be close, but this year has gone a long way to providing me the... I don't want to say comfort. The confidence is probably the right word. The confidence that he'll make it. Um, if you ask me again now, I think originally I was at 50-50. I am probably closer to 
70 or 65%. I think 65% is probably where I'm at. And I know you're much more confident than that, right? Oh, yeah. Like, I would probably say, I'm going to say, you know, you said 84 games. I'm going to say 84% is my, you know what? He's the grade eight, 88% chance that he's going to, you know, beat Gretzky's record. And I, I, I feel like he's not going to be like, oh, hit 897, I'm going to retire. Like, I feel like this no. is a guy that's going to yeah. want to set his own record. He's going to try and make a record that's going to be unbreakable himself. So uh, I'm going to I'm gonna have to say that 88% chance that he's going to break Gretzky's record. Okay, sounds good. So there's one more thing I didn't want to talk about today. And that's Alex Formenton. He's playing in the Swiss League for the season. So he's an RFA who wasn't able to get the deal done by December 1st. So he ends up signing with HC Ambria Piotta of of the Swiss League. And again, for our listeners, they know how I feel about the Swiss League. I rate it higher than many other people. I think Swiss League is very good. Um, I don't remember the last time we've heard a player do that. Like besides Puliarvi, not the, not going to Swiss League, an RFA playing in a different league. I remember Puliarvi did that, but I don't remember anyone else doing that. Anyone come off the top of your head? Well, in that same off season, Julius Honka was another RFA that didn't sign. So oh. those were the only. Those, I think those are the only two RFA's that were unsigned past December first that ended up having. Obviously, you know, you're not going to sit out the entire season. So they signed contracts overseas to at least play. And I don't know if it's a good sign that Formentin, um, like, it, it's not a good sign for his career because you look at the careers of Julius Honka, you look at the careers of Pugliarvi. I, don't, I feel like Formentin's NHL career, notwithstanding potential other issues, I feel like it's not a good sign for him. Well, I can understand that thinking, right? At the end of the day, these are the formative years as a player. When you're an RFA, that's like your formative years. And playing in the Swiss League, playing in the Finnish League, and the organization that you're playing for has understood that, hey, this is like a one-year thing just because you know you couldn't make a deal. The understanding is you're not going to be back so we're gonna target your training to becoming the best player you can be right now and kind of foregoing further improvements down the road right and kind of i think stunts the development because you're on a one track right when you're and in my opinion at least you're on a one track hey you need to develop these scales then these scales then these scales and put it all together right but when you go to a league like the swiss league for one year the mindset is oh we're just gonna get as good as possible right now, score as many goals, screw future training. We're talking about the present right now. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, no. I, I, I know what you mean. Like, I think for this, you know, whichever Swiss team he's playing for right now, it's kind of just, you know, it, it, it's it, it's kind of just, you know, like we just want you for a year, you know, show us the improvement you can make for our team. And then from there on, um, I don't know. It, it, it's... It's a tricky situation, in my my opinion. Like, I I wonder. I'm trying to think. Was Valerie Nichushkin, was he someone that also didn't you know, 
was he like an unsigned RFA or was he more just like, oh, I don't want to play in the NHL anymore. I'm going to go back to the KHL because he was also a guy who kind of, you know, after his entry level deal, he wasn't really performing well and he kind of ended up back in Russia for a couple of years and then came back. Like, I can't remember if he was like technically unsigned RFA or was he more just like, at the beginning of the offseason, he was like, oh, I'm going to the KHL, right? And signed a deal there. I can't remember. I'm pretty sure it has to do with a similar uh, situation to Alex Romenka right now. Yeah, it, it might have been one of those. Like, you know how sometimes um, players from overseas, like Europe or Russia, where they end up going back to their, like, back overseas, but the NHL team still, like, retains their right, like, I wonder if it's maybe one of those situations, but like, well, I don't. In, in the case of Nichushkin, I don't blame him, right? Like, it was the time of the KHL where they were just, hey, you wanted a big contract as a Russian player, you got it, right? It didn't really matter, so I don't really blame him at the end of the day. And also, like when he was with the Stars, I don't think he was being used properly in those couple. Like, he was kind of up and down, and. Like that last season, that last season of his entry deal, I feel like on that team he was still kind of he wasn't even a top six guy. Like at that point, like I think he felt like he should have been a top six guy, given you know he was drafted with a fairly high pick. Um, I mean, look at him now; he's great. But yeah, like for for Menton, I think that you know he's going to get the season in, and then come next off season, I think we'll see if the Sens try to sign him back or maybe. Like it, it's just not a good sign. Like, like you mentioned, like Honka, he he did like all these guys ended up resigning back with their NHL teams, but like you look at Honka, he never played another NHL game again. And like looking at Puliyarvi too, like I, I I would say he's probably in danger of not being in the NHL very soon. Not very soon. I mean, like he won't be. Like I I would say he probably. After this year, he might not be in the NHL anymore. Like, I don't know if that's a hot take. Uh, I think that's a pretty hot take. I think at the end of the day, he's what twenty three, and there will be teams that are willing to take a flyer on him. Just they need someone. He's good, and I think what also is part of the consideration is that these are players that all kind of went to their native countries. Right, Nishushka went to Russia. Pliarvi went to Finland. Honka went to Finland. Formenton isn't Finnish or Swiss, sorry. Right? Like I think that plays a, a little bit there. Wait, you mean like Pugliarvi wait, is this about Formenton or Pugliarvi? Like the fact uh, so, Pugliarvi, sorry. Did you mention Pul- <laughs> am I still am I talking about the wrong player? No, no, no. I, I'm I'm I think in my line of this discussion, I was talking about like you know how like Puliyarvi like does he still have an NHL career or maybe he might need to pull Nichushkin and regain his confidence. Oh, sorry, I had totally put the wrong player up. Uh, yeah, Puliyarvi. I think at the end of the day, he is gonna. He, I think he's gonna be here longer. I think that's a hot take. And the rumor right now from Elliot Friedman is that the Ducks are looking at him. I think at the end of the day, he probably needs a new start, Puliyarvi. Not with the Edmonton Oilers. Um, but I still think he's an NHLer. I think one of the big things that 
makes teams more willing is it just seems like Puli RV is kind of stuck in his own head a little bit, but the attitude is still there. And for some reason, the person I thought of as a comparable is Neil Yakupov. The difference between Neil Yakupov and Puli RV was that Neil Yakupov had a really bad attitude and Puli RV, what doesn't hurt is that he's a large lad as well, right? People will be willing to pay for size. And can skate. Right? Puliarvi can skate, in my opinion, at least. Um, he has a lot of the tools. He just kind of needs to put it all together. So I think team will be willing to put a, a flyer on that, especially he's making $3 million, right? He's not making like six and a half or something like that. $3 million. Like he seems perfect for a prove it deal for another team. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised that if, they can't trade Puliarvi. I wonder if he doesn't go. I wonder if he's not qualified. Like I don't, you know, I don't think he's qualified at the end of the offseason. If Edmonton, well, even if a team trades for him, I don't think you qualify him. I think he's gonna probably just go to free agency. Like I wonder even, hmm. like like he has no protection obviously. And I agree, he's a change of scenery guy, but I feel like. This is going to be the off season where he's going to pick or try to find, you know, where is going to be the best place for me as a player to grow as a player and to regain my confidence. And whether that's with the Ducks, like I'm not sure which team he'll go to. Like I feel like I, you think he'll probably get traded this some point this season, right? I do. Like I feel like whichever team he gets traded to, it's going to be a trial. But I don't think it's necessarily going to be like a place he resigns with automatically. I feel like he's going to try feel out and figure out which team is best for him. I, so I, I got to ask you this then. He's got what 30, 36 points in sixty five games last year. He's got thirty one points in six games. Uh, sorry, thirty one games, six points this year, right? Would you be willing to take a three point six million dollar flyer on him? Because that's his qualifying offer, right? If we are saying 50 points gets you 4.2 million for Trevor Moore and with term, right? With term. So if we kind of divide 82 by 30, you want kind of just give you a good 82 game season extrapolation. He's on pace for 16 points. Would you run a flyer, especially if you're a team like, I don't know. Arizona with a bunch of cap. Maybe not Arizona. I don't even know what team. Like a team with a lot of cap space. Can't think of one off the top of my head. Like Anaheim, I think. Right? Anaheim. Do you not take a flyer on him for 16 points at three and a half? Hope he rebounds. Especially if you can get him for a fourth. Right? You mentioned that they're not going to bother qualifying him. So if you're Anaheim, you go, hey, I'll give you a fourth for him. To try it out at least. I would expect by that logic for them to say yes, right? 3.6 million to for a one year to you know hope he flips it and kind of puts it together. I think at that though, if you're Ken Holland, if you're if you're looking to make a trade with Puliarvi, you're not looking to just trade him for picks, right? Or prospects. You're unless you're gonna be able to flip those picks and prospects for NHL ready help. Like I think if you're you're probably looking to trade Pooley RV for NHL ready players. But Okay, but at, remember at the, same time, the Oilers I, have no cap space. 
Yeah, but when you clear out that $3 million from PULI-RV, I feel like you're going to have some cap space there to maybe, you know, like your trade, your deadline cap space is going to be more than whatever you're going to have right now. So I feel like you're going to be able to weaponize it a little bit more. I don't know about using it as during the cap, during the deadline, to be honest, if you're Anaheim, right? You don't really care. So you might as well just get him at the draft or whatever. In my opinion, I wouldn't say like I, I think if you're a team I, I would wait until free agency because like if you're a rebuilding team I I don't think you're going to be like like if he doesn't work out you just li- wasted an asset on a guy that you're just trying out and for a team like especially for Beak and at, in Anaheim right now I don't think he's going to he's not going to be a guy who's going to buy anyone anytime soon and even Arizona, sure, but like you know, it's going to be a short. It's basically a rental. Like Puligarvi, I think it's a rental unless he lands on a team that turns out to be like the perfect situation for him. He's going to be a rental at this deadline. But at but to your point, right? A rental right now. How are they going to get fair value? Right, a rental is for a team that's trying to get the playoffs. Oilers are going to try to be in the playoffs. Like, I, don't, I don't see where the value comes in, you know what I mean? Like the value for the Oilers or? I don't see how it matches. You need, you're going to try to do like a rental for a rental or something? Like I don't know how that works. Like I feel like it's going to be like a deal, one of those deals where it's like guy who needs to change the scenery for guy who needs to change the scenery type of deal. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's probably a good point. And I think that the Oilers, you know, they probably still... I feel like this is a problem with like a lot of teams where based on their draft pedigree, they're, you know, that's what they think their value should be close to. And for a guy who was a fourth overall pick, I think they're looking at, you know, at least, you know, like a first round pick type of value, at least, right? Like You're not going to get a first round pick value from though. And, but, and that's the problem, right? Like for guys who have that pe- draft pedigree, like that's why, it's so insane that they're worth that much. Like, look at, you know, Kirby Doc, who, you know, granted, you know, he, I think he's doing okay, not, not awful. I think he's, you know, rebuilt his trade value for sure in Montreal. But for, if you were looking at just his, you know, trade value itself, it probably wasn't worth the first and the third uh, when they traded him to, uh, from Ch- Chicago, right? Like, that's quite a bit of, you know, that's a lot to pay for, but, you know, because he was drafted third overall, that's why, you know, someone's got to pay. So unless the Oilers can find a team that's willing to give them first round draft pick value and like high or like top mid first round draft pick value, I see Plea RV. Either he's like a little like straight dump where like a team gives up a six just to clear out salary space so that Oilers can, you know, make a big addition. But, like I don't even see a fourth for Pulley RV unless it's for like, like I don't know. Like the trades, it's either gonna be a salary dump for like a six, or it's gonna be a change of scenery guy for a change of scenery guy. Yeah. No, I think that's good points. Um, I gotta run, so let's wrap this up. Uh, what's what's your final thought, Jeffrey? Um, I would like to hear your final thoughts. Uh, between France and Argentina. So, are you asking me which team I'd like to curse? Um, who have you, you've cursed Denmark. Who did you curse last time? Wait, last episode. 
uh, I don't think I cursed anyone. So I'm I'm gonna curse the French team because I really don't care about a, a back-to-back win. That that doesn't seem very interesting to me. All right. Um, so I you know I, I I believe in France. I think you know as long as you know they don't turn up their ACs too high and all catch colds in Qatar. I think uh, France is probably gonna beat Argentina. I think I think it's gonna be an extra. It's gonna be a, an extra time game. I feel like that's been like the this entire FIFA World Cup is extended extra time and too many games that go into extra time. Like, I, I, Penalty kicks. Messi scores the final shot. Uh, I will have to say no. I'm gonna say it's gonna be. 2-1 for France in extra time. All right. Jeffrey, your final thought? Do you have any more? No, that, that's my final thought. All right. So we'll talk to you guys soon then. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Bank Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at BOP underscore POD on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.